This is Under Pressure, a medical podcast. Join us with our host, Glenn Clark, as we dive deeper into various wound care, vascular and hyperbaric medicine treatments, and conditions. Each episode features a different medical professional, providing a multidisciplinary approach on ways to properly heal. Thank you for joining us on Under Pressure, a medical podcast. I'm Glenn Clark, and today our guest is Dr. Toby Urikin. Dr. Toby Urikin, MD, is the Medical Director of Wound Care and Hyperbaric Medicine at St. Agnes Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. He earned his Doctorate of Medicine from Howard University College of Medicine and his Master's in Public Health from Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, where he completed his Preventive Medicine Residency. He is a board-certified wound specialist physician, and today will be talking to us about social determinants of wound healing. Dr. Yurikin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Can you define for us what social determinants of health either are or could be? Sure. So the social determinants of health has been a buzz term that's been used in medicine for the last several years now because we've been recognizing that there are so many different things that go into someone actually being healthy, hmm. right? Somebody comes in with a heart attack. The physiology of the heart attack is, you know, a clogged coronary artery. But the reason why they got the heart attack in the first place is not just the fact that they may have had too many, you know, hamburgers at McDonald's. It's what access to food do they actually have? Mm. How much money do they actually have? What support system do they have to help them eat healthier or exercise? What is their neighborhood like? And all of those things that go into their ability to actually live a healthy life and prevent them from getting the heart attack in the first place. So there are very strict criteria that we've come up with to define what those social determinants of health are which I can talk about a little bit. I'd love for you to do that, because this is really fascinating to me what you're talking about, because, boy, it's a thought that I know has come up a lot recently. Sure. Let me go this way. What differentiates social determinants of health between social needs? Right. So when we talk about social determinants of health, we talk about population. And preventive medicine as a specialty really focuses on population health, right? Our patients are the populations, right? So they're actual communities, whereas social needs addresses the individual, right? What do you need to access your optimum quality of life, right? What support system do you as an individual have? What do you need in your social community to be able to reach your goals in terms of quality? So um, social needs is very specific and it's individual based, but social determinants of health are very population based. What does the community look like? Um, there are five specific domains to the social determinants of health. Uh, one is economic stability. Sure. Right. And that kind of speaks for itself. Right. Are you able to actually purchase foods that allow you to live a healthy lifestyle? Right. Um, next would be your education. Right. And your access to education. Did you grow up in an environment where there are good schools and supportive schools? And do you have access to secondary education? Do you have access to college or community college? Things that allow you to better educate yourself about the world around you. Um, a third domain is the actual built environment. Do you live in a neighborhood where you can access healthy foods? Do right. you live in a neighborhood where you have to walk maybe a block or two to get to the grocery store as opposed to taking your car everywhere you have to go where you don't have to expend as much energy and you can kind of be a little bit, you know, quote unquote lazier. Um, then I think that was three. The fourth one um, 
is actual health access, right? Healthcare access. Do you live in an environment where you can actually access um, doctors, yeah. right? Actually yeah. access healthcare, doctors that can serve your needs, right? If you just have a family practice um, physician and you live in a rural environment, but you need surgery, it's going to be a little bit harder for you to access healthcare. And then last is just your social community, right? Um, what is the context that you live in? Do you have a good support system that can actually help you achieve your, your goals? Do you live around people who think that it's actually better for you to live a healthy lifestyle? If you have all of your friends eating mostly vegetables, guess what? You're probably, You're probably more eat, likely, yeah, right, 100%. More likely right. eat, uh, more vegetables. So those are the five domains of, of the social determinants of health. And going into those and addressing those needs is what we're really trying to do in the overall medical field much more now. I'm thinking of even things like, um, you know, if, if, if your care requires you to need to get a ride somewhere, Absolutely. do you have access to be able to get the ride to get that? Or is it just easier for you to say, ah, the, the heck with it, I'm not going to deal with this right, right now? Right. Absolutely. And right. those are the things that we're trying to address more and more in healthcare. Definitely several hospitals and hospital systems have been setting up these ancillary programs to help support uh, the work that's being done in hospitals, in clinics, in nursing homes, because they know that the patients will just bounce right back, right? If you're recommending that they exercise more and they eat healthier, right, that's easy to tell somebody. Yep. But have you really looked at all the factors that may prevent them from being able to exercise more, may prevent them from being able to actually access or afford healthy foods. Wow. And we know these things can directly impact other aspects of health. Now, this is, boy, you, you're, you are really speaking, this is fascinating to me because I, I do think it's an important shifting national, national conversation that needs to be had because it's been too easy to just shame people in certain circumstances. Absolutely. Well, you're not doing what you need to do. Well, that might be because it's very difficult for that person to be able to do those things they Absolutely. need to do. Let's move it into the, the, the healing of wounds topic. So how can these factors impact specifically healing of wounds? So if we talk about some of the most common wounds that we see, I see venous ulcers every day in clinic. I see diabetic foot ulcers every day in clinic, um, arterial ulcers, etc. And the pathophysiology of uh, these diseases uh, is pretty much centered around um, the second phase of wound healing, which is inflammation. And not to get too technical, but that phase, usually patients get stuck in that phase, right? The wounds get stuck in that phase and they become chronic wounds, right? But there's so many modulators of inflammation itself, right? And one of those modulators of inflammation is cortisol, okay. right? And cortisol is a stress hormone, right? And some of the things that can influence health and influence stress, right, which can prevent health, are related to the social determinants of health, right? Imagine if you have food insecurity. You don't know where your next meal is coming from. Sure. Imagine the amount of stress and that, that can cause. Overwhelming. So there have been not only in-situ animal studies and cellular studies, but human studies that have looked at cortisol levels and the impact of wound healing. And you, if you did a Google search right now of how many studies show that cortisol levels can actually impair adequate wound healing and impair the ability to reduce inflammation. If you can, all that, all those cortisol level increases can actually impair wound healing. And that makes our job much harder as wound care providers. Um, again, it's, n it's impossible to address every single determinant of health, but it's very important to be aware right. of those factors so that you can tailor your treatment 
to account for those. Uh, you can't solve the world's problems, unfortunately, right. but the, the knowledge of them and their existence can help you as you go about trying Absolutely. to create one. So, so let me go to this. How do social networks impact the healing of wounds? Right. So one thing that I've found in most of my patients is that the people who are the most successful usually have strong support networks. Sure. They usually have a brother, mother, sister, wife that comes with them to every appointment. They usually have people around them who are telling them, hey, they need to quit smoking. And they don't live in a home where everyone is a smoker and it's very, very difficult to quit. Um, they have people in their lives that are active. They live in a group home or they live in a, um, a nursing home where the people that are around them are extremely supportive. They have people who come and visit them every day. You know, I have patients who, you know, their wives may not live in the nursing home with them, but they come to visit and they come to every appointment. So that when I tell that patient, hey, you need to wear your compression socks so that you can help re increase the, the healing rate in this venous ulcer, they're usually extremely responsive and they're usually doing really, really great. You know, I've had a few patients where when I first saw them, things looked pretty dire, right? And they had help. They had their a support system. Right. They had a support system and that support system uh, allowed them to get their wounds healed in a relatively uh, quick time. And those are the things that we're always striving to do as wound care providers. You're not only trying to get the wound healed, but you're trying to get it healed in an adequate amount of time to prevent other potential complications from arising. So we're always racing against time and having this social network, having a social network, having support can actually increase and speed up healing rates in, uh, in chronic wounds. I'm going to ask this question knowing that this, this isn't a medical answer, right? right. But is, is there a way to encourage somebody might, you know, might say, I just don't have the same social network I don't have for whatever reason. You mentioned right. folks that maybe are a little bit older and you know, they, there are certainly reasons to understand they might not have the same. H how do you recreate that? Is it, can you build a, a different support system? Is the importance of building a different support system at that point? It's, it's we emphasize it, yep. but it's something that you can't control, right? And in an ideal world, it would be nice to manufacture those support systems for people who don't have it. Um, but if you're knowledgeable about it, you can attempt to do that within your own clinic, right? So what we have, um, what we really try to do, at least in our clinic, is try to build relationships with nursing staff and the patient. Sure. Right? It's something that we call them, check up on them. If we haven't seen them, they missed an appointment. It's not just a, you know, message, automatic message that's sent. One of our nurses will actually call, check on the patient, say, hey, what's going on? Oh, you couldn't get a ride? Okay, let's see if we can sort something out. The hospital has some programs to organize rides. We know you need to get your wound healed. Yep. We know you're motivated motivated to, to get it healed, here's a support system within the place that you're already coming to anyway that you can potentially access. And, you know, we have patients who, you know, we've laughed with, cried with, all in the patient room, uh, trying to form that relationship to build that support system. It's critical. And I think it, not only, you know, what we're doing to the wound helps it, but building that support system helps as well. What are some positive lifestyle changes socially that someone can do to increase the ability to heal wounds? Diet and exercise is what we tell patients all the time, right? Um, but I always start from where the patient is, right? Mm -hmm. Where are you when it comes to diet and exercise? Where are you when it comes to, you know, wanting to live healthier and live a better life? 
And when the patient expresses the fact that they're motivated, then I ask them, okay, what do you have in your refrigerator right now? Sure. Or what do you normally eat on an average day? How often do you exercise? Were you an athlete in the past? Is this something that you enjoy doing? And if you really hate exercising, have you ever thought maybe just standing up and sitting down several times on the couch can actually get your heart rate up and right. Yeah. Right. So you always first we try to meet them where they're at and then try to figure out just simple things that may not feel like exercise, may not feel like you're going totally vegetarian, um, but actually does a lot to, to help their wounds and, and help them heal over. It's a very overall. small thing, but it's, it's, it's important. It Absolutely. might seem daunting at first for somebody to hear the word exercise. Right. Like, I'm, you know, I'm at a certain age. I'm at a certain place in my life. I'm, I, I accept who I am. Exactly. This is just the way it's going to be. Exactly. Okay, you don't have to change everything. Right. But subtle changes could go a long way into improving your wound care. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We ask this of everybody that we talk to, Dr. Yurikin. Mm-hmm. I want you to take me back uh, to medical school. Mm-hmm. And we, we talked about your background and started today's show. What is something that you learned while you were in medical school that you still do or believe or, you know, practice to this day as your career has gone on? Sure. Um there are a few things. I don't know if we have two hours to talk about all of them. I mean, if they're, if they're good, captivating, <laughs> we'll give you the time. Um, so one, I have a mentor, um, and you know, may soul rest in peace, the doc, great Dr. LaSalle LaFall. Um, he was somebody who I idolized when I was in medical school, um, and he was an idol of so many. Uh, great surgeon, great cancer surgeon. He used to always say the phrase, equanimity under duress. And... You know, it sounds like a couple fancy words, mm-hmm. but three very, very... I always <laughs> say, you know, if, if I can't understand a word, I'm offended by it. Exactly. No. <laughs> no, but, you know, you think about those words, equanimity under duress. Now, as a surgeon, of course, that is something that you need to apply while you're operating yep. on, on somebody. Um, and during my surgery training, that was easy to apply. That's something that I've applied not only to my practice, but... To, in life okay equanimity under duress um it's just a simple phrase that you can say quickly anytime you get nervous anytime there's a problem that you feel like you you're not prepared to handle you know we go through extensive training to get to where we're at and you're prepared for most situations at this point um all you have to do is maintain equanimity under Mm -hmm. duress and most problems you can handle or at least know what to do to get those situations handled. Wow. Um, and that's something that, you know, I try to remind myself every now and again uh, when I'm getting nervous, frustrated. Um, I got to write really that. I got two young kids. So uh-huh. I gotta, I'm going to need to keep equanimity yeah. under duress <laughs> filed away because those situations yeah. come up quite a bit in my Yeah, life. yeah, no, for sure. Was there something else you wanted to share? Uh, well, yeah, there was, I, I guess, um, this is not specific and maybe not something you can <laughs> write down, but... Uh, yeah, I remember several of my professors in medical school saying when we're learning um, to become uh, diagnosticians, um, listen to the patient. Mm-hmm. The patient will always tell you what's wrong with them. You just have to listen. And, of course, they may not know the fancy medical terms to use. Right. right? They may not know exactly how to describe it. But if you truly listen and engage the patient as efficiently as possible, they'll usually tell you. And that's something that I found to be very, very true throughout my entire career. 
Um, it's asking the right questions. You know, I found when listening to patients, hey, my wound just won't heal. It's been there forever. Nobody's been able to they do They use the phrase, this isn't right. Yeah, this isn't right. Yep. You know, it was burning. Yep. You know? yep. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's how it feels to them. But again, you, if you just listen to the patient, they'll tell you what's going on. It's just your job to, to find it. Is there anything else, doctor, that you would want people to know, either about what you do, about wound care in general? Is there anything else that you would just like people to know while you have the platform? Sure. Um, I, I think from both a provider and a patient standpoint, I think we all want to do right. Patients want to feel better and doctors want to do good work. Um, and when it comes to understanding the different factors that help everyone achieve that same goal, I think it's really important for us, both as patients and as doctors, to always have that in mind. Understanding that there are so many different variables that could potentially prevent us from achieving that goal. So if both people, both the provider and the patient, understand what those variables are and work together to overcome those obstacles, usually you can meet the the goal, which is just quality of life. Mm -hmm. You know, quality of life as a doctor, knowing that you're doing good work, quality of life as a patient, knowing that you're living your best life. And that's you're on the same I'm, team after exactly. all, right? Like, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's important that we remember that. Like I'm not I'm not trying to work against you. I'm right. not trying to make your life I'm trying to help you. I'm absolutely. Try, trying absolutely. to make your life better. Exactly. <laughs> Just exactly. might require a little give and take here absolutely. in order to do that. Absolutely. Dr. Yurkin, fascinating yeah. conversation. Um, and a really important topic. I greatly appreciate you coming sure. in. And if if people wanted to find out more um, about what you do, is there a website? Is there somewhere that you would guide them to to get some more information? Sure. So uh, specifically about social determinants of health, uh, the CDC, um, HHS, uh, they have several resources that NIH have several resources that you can um, look up. I'm sure people know how to Google CDC nowadays. (laughs) Doing a lot of it the last couple of years. It's a great point. (laughs) Exactly. But social determinants of health is all over there, Um, specifically towards wound care. If you have specific questions, um, St. Agnes Wound Care. Uh, they, we have our own site under the St. Agnes system, so stagnes.org. Um, and you know we can you can always give us a call and, and reach out to us. We can answer any questions that you may have. Dr. Toby Yurkin, thank you so much for taking the time for us. He's Dr. Yurkin, I'm Glenn Clark. Thank you for joining us for another edition of Under Pressure, a medical podcast. The information stated on the podcast is for educational purposes only and does not substitute for professional medical advice. We strongly recommend consulting a medical professional or healthcare provider if you are seeking medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.